Hello and welcome to Duelist Unity Raw number three. I am blissfully uncertain, floating along, very much okay with whatever's going to come next and not holding on to so many fucking assumptions of what that may look like. And I am never what you think. And you are never what you think. None of this is what you think. Dualistic unity is not what you think. Everything that we're doing here is an ongoing process. We don't know where it's going or why it's going there, just that our lives led us here. And by letting go, we're a part of this. And now, so are you, dear listener. And so we're glad that you're here. Um, this was another fantastic live episode. We got into some really good conversation. We got into a few controversial topics as well, but I think that's what I enjoy about these live sessions the most. And then of course, after the fact, we went and had two fantastic groups on Patreon with our supporters. So I want to say thank you to them for being there. That was a fantastic conversation as well. All that said, enjoy this episode of Dualistic Unity Raw. What do you want to talk about today? <laughs> that's actually a really good question. Um, I had a host of things going through my mind this morning, so I suppose we're just going to see how it goes. Um, I was up at a ridiculously early time this morning. Again, I was up at like 3.30 in the morning, and it, it's so funny because I just, it's not like I'm going to sleep. It's like I'm just kind of going somewhere else. I just took a half hour nap before this episode. I went straight to REM, and now I'm right back, and there's like no... There's, there's none of that, that lag where, it, where it's like, you know, oh God, oh God, I'm so groggy. Okay, I gotta get my, get my gears back. You know, there's almost none of that. It goes from like, you know, just REM sleep to, to awake and doing this because here I am and I woke up at, well, like 15 minutes ago. That's awesome. Yeah, sleep has been a very interesting thing for me as well. And I don't know if it's quite on, quite on raise level uh, yet, but since I quit my job, it's, it does feel like there isn't the uh, kind of like barrier that you typically feel with sleep or even even the feeling of wanting to be asleep longer. Like I just have we have so much going on and so much to do and so much I want to do throughout the day. It's like, all right, how much sleep do I need to get? It's not like, oh, tonight I. I'm going to sleep in and it's going to be amazing. It's like, how much do I need? Let's lie down, go to bed, wake up, do it again. And so this morning I slept in till five 30 and it was because last night I wanted to get this vlog out that I was filming and it's always, you get it pretty much all the way there. And then it just takes so much longer to finish it off with, you know, voiceover and getting the captions correct and everything. So I was up till like 11 and I usually like to go to bed at at 10 and i i try my i really try and just get at least six hours of sleep if i can get six hours like i feel good i know i've tested out you know different sleeping times so i'm like all right shit so i'm getting in bed at 11 probably fall asleep relatively soon i usually fall asleep pretty damn quick when i lie like lie down these days and so it's like okay so how much do i need all right i'll set my alarm for that and then get up and you know feel good and then do whatever I want for the first couple hours and then hop on here. And, and yeah, it's been, it's been great, but I don't feel, I don't love to sleep in the way that maybe I used to. It's like, it's more of what do I need? What does this body need to do? And yeah, on top of that, like I've been having very vivid dreams pretty much every night for the last 
two weeks at least. And, and sometimes I remember them super well. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes later in the day, I'll remember them a little bit better. But it's funny, like thinking about how people think about dreams. And they're like, oh, what does it mean? What does it mean? And it's like, what does anything mean? Like everything is always an opportunity to take from it what you will. And that's it. Like we talked about last week a little bit. Like it's just the process of processing in every moment. Like you can take from it what you will. Like you can see something happen in a dream and be like, oh, that's interesting. That's that there's an insight right there. But it's not like this overlaid reason, like, oh, what does this mean about me? It's like when you're thinking about yourself so much, you think everything must mean something about you or what you're going through and have this like double or triple layer meaning to it. And it's like, maybe it's just is what it is. And it's an opportunity for you to recognize something. And maybe it's nothing beyond that. And and what's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, we tend to overthink things. Or it's funny, we'll overthink some things and then we won't think about other things because they make us uncomfortable. I find if I just allow myself to go through the process of whatever it is I'm thinking about, regardless of how weird it might seem, that one's really getting me. It just passes. But you can go through things that are, are symbolic and meaningful and seem straight up like, like a jaunt through your imagination, because that's kind of what they are if you want to describe it in those terms. But they're still symbolic. They're still lessons. They're still part of a process of you understanding more and more about yourself and your relationship with reality. And I think that we forget that, that we, we use thinking selectively when we think it's accomplishing something. This has a purpose. This is going to get me here. So I'll think about it. Oh, that doesn't seem like it has a purpose. So I'm, I'm not going to think about that. We, we block ourselves off from a lot of context. We block ourselves off from a lot of insights. And I think that's just it is that we're arrogant. <laughs> we think that we know what we're supposed to think, which is kind of a funny thought when you think about it, because honestly, they're just thoughts like they're just happening, trying to, to control them and just and decide what they should be changes the nature of them. It's very much like the, uh, the post I, I re-released the other day about this being a dream. Understanding that you're the dreamer changes the dream. That's it. That's all you need to do. And somebody wrote, and I loved this. Okay, I get that. Now what? Which I found funny because I get that is hilarious. Do you? Do you get that? Because I've been staring at it full in the face for half my life. I'm just starting to feel out the edges of this puzzle. I'm not getting it. I'm just getting the surface of it. Absolutely, because it is a mind-blowingly deep rabbit hole that never, ever stops. The fact that it's all you, that you're the dreamer, really take that in because there's a lot of layers to that. It's not just about belief. It's not just about telling yourself. It's not just about a conceptual understanding. If you understand it, it changes everything about how you interact with everything. And admittedly, again, I'm just starting to get a feel for what that means. And I've thought I had a feel for what that means many times. And I'm going to laugh at myself a little bit right now because I've said that before. Just starting to understand. At least now it's, I'm just starting to understand. Whereas before when I was younger, it's like, I've got it. Oh my God, it's so clear. Yeah, watch out for that. That's a danger. Yeah, I was just going to say I had written down, I get that. 
that like that phrase, I get that is such an interesting phrase. And because it always it's it's so limiting and it puts it in a box and it cuts you off from, you know, understanding more. And it makes me wonder, can we ever truly get anything fully? Or is this whole experience just the process of getting and you can never get to the end of that? And I've had a couple of people comment because I've been posting, you know, more vlog type stuff and which I'm I'm not trying to get across this idea that I have, you know, this great life that I got things figured out and I know what I want to do with my life because some people have been commenting that like, oh, it's so amazing to see you living your truth and knowing exactly what you want to be and where you're at. And like, I hope to get there someday. And it's like, what? No, that's not even close to the reality of it. And to think that I have it figured out and people will say like, oh, I know what I want. I know exactly what I want my life to be like. That's so limiting. That cuts you off from so many opportunities to shift because all of a sudden you have an idea of what you want to do. And I get if you kind of have this broader approach to what you want to do and you're not really sure how it, it's going to happen. Like I understand that, but a lot of people have this very narrow view of it. And I guess in some sense, for the most part, we have some degree of a tunnel that we look down just in this dualistic experience. It's always going to be to a degree, but how broad or how limiting is that tunnel? And a lot of people have very narrow tunnels because it gives them more of a sense of comfort. Like I don't have to, you know, look at all of these other things around here because, you know, I'm, I'm just focused here and I know this, but what are you missing in all of these other places and how wide can you make that? And how much can you let go of thinking that you know exactly what it is? And so, yeah, the phrase, I get that, or I know what I want, or I know what I want my life to be is so limiting. And it's such, I don't know, I think it's kind of a bummer when people settle on that. It's its like this infinitely expansive, eternal situation and experience. And to think that you know exactly what you want it to be right now, you know, whatever age you are, whether you're 10 or 20 or, you know, 75, to think you know exactly what you want the rest of your life to be is, is incredibly limiting and also super arrogant, as you said, and, and egotistical to think that you could possibly have so much influence over where you're going and what you're going through that you have this objectively held truth about, about what it's going to be and how it's going to turn out. Yeah, I have no idea what, what I want my life to be. Admittedly, the more I admit that, the more fun it becomes. Because, well, look at what we're doing right now. And, and it's funny because I'm not out there with a mega yacht. I'm not paying ports to redesign their bridge system so I can park my mega yacht. I'm not driving 15 different super uh, supercars. I'm not doing all of this. I'm not surrounded with models. I'm not doing any of the things the ego would say, oh, that's success. But I'm so damned content with my life right now. It's funny. Like I practically skip down the road most of the time because I'm just relaxed. I, 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 there's nothing that I want aside from what I have. I appreciate my life. I appreciate what I've become, what, I've, what I'm becoming, what I'm a part of, whatever that might be. I appreciate my day-to-day -day discourse. I just, I appreciate the day-to-day -day lessons that come my way and the insights, some of the challenges as well. Like, that's it. 
this is life. I'm not trying to get anywhere. And I'm going to do this until the day that this body goes bye-bye and dies. And that's it. And then I'll continue doing it as everything else because I'm everything. What else is there? Really? Like people are like, oh, I want to get to heaven after I die. Why wait? Like you're here now. You might as well do something about it. Like you might as well enjoy yourself. But it's this idea of heaven again, superficial, right? Oh, there's no, there's no pain in heaven. God, that sounds dull. It just sounds terrible. I don't remember who said it, but you know, they, they were saying, I'd like to go to hell because all the best music will be there. I can understand that, right? I understand that sentiment for sure. But that's the point is that our idea of heaven and hell is, is very much based on our very simplistic view of life being about suffering or happiness. Like I'm either happy in life or I'm suffering in life. It's like, no, they inform each other. They're, they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And unfortunately, that's just the case. That's why somebody who's incredibly comfortable their whole life appreciates less and less and less. Get them out in some hardship. All of a sudden, that appreciation starts to come back and they can empathize with other people who have gone through hardship. It's a balance. It has to be. So if you find yourself incredibly comfortable, go do something challenging. Go do something that you know, makes you question yourself a little bit, makes you uncomfortable. You know, get in the shit because you'll learn from it. Yeah, and to think something like heaven, for example, there's no pain in there. To me, that sounds like there's no experience. Like, how can you be so limited in your idea of what something is to think that, oh, I'm going to cut off all of these things and not recognize all of that comes down to your preference too. There's no objective here. There is no objective. And to think that you can go to a place with, with no pain whatsoever or no suffering whatsoever, like how can you not see that that only exists inside of your mind based on your preferences and your beliefs and your ideas of what something is? Like heaven and hell are only ideas that exist inside of your mind that you hold on to because you're afraid of what you don't know. And so you try and cre to create these false senses of certainty for all of those things. And yeah, like recognizing too, that the, the suffering informs the joy and the happiness and the happiness and all of that informs the suffering and the pain. There's, there's less resistance to it. And to use happiness as like your North star cuts you off. And when you're not experiencing it, you think you're doing something wrong, which only deepens that state of suffering. But if you're able to recognize the necessity of that dichotomy, there is less resistance when one or the other arises. You're like, oh, this is actually necessary for my life, for my reality. And there are things that I can learn in this. There's less resistance. And that's why I think a closer, you know, goal or peak is to be in a state of acceptance, you know, non-resistance, things like that, because you're not thinking that there's a thing you should be experiencing in every moment and you let go of thinking that you should be in a certain mentality or, or feel a certain feeling or be in a certain place in your life, be it a physical experience, an emotional experience, a feeling, a mentality relative to someone else versus yourself. And, and it lets go of, of so many things that exacerbate our suffering, that comparison, that comparison mentality and, and things like that. There isn't so much space for that when you let go of the belief that you should be feeling or experiencing something other than what you are. 
And when you realize the necessity, you're appreciative of that. And you're able to look beyond just the superficial, like, oh, this feels good or this doesn't feel good. You're like, oh, this is this is what it is. Here I am. What can I do with it? And it, it takes you a step beyond that just superficial, like, oh, I don't like how this feels. I wish I was feeling differently right now. Or, oh, I love how this feels. I hope it doesn't go away. I hope this lasts forever because that's the same devil, you know, right there is, is being in that state of peace. And a lot of people experience that too. Like they're in a state of happiness and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I hope this doesn't go away. Boom. They're suffering because of the state of happiness that they're in. And then when they're not experiencing it, when they're going through pain or suffering, they're like, oh, I want to be happy. They feel happy. They're like, oh, I hope I don't stop feeling happy. And it's like this constant state of the opposite of the thing that allows you to appreciate the experience and move beyond the superficial feelings and actually do something with the experience, despite how you're feeling, or even, you know, not even despite, but because of how you're feeling and being able to appreciate that, that dichotomy and that give and take and that balancing act that is life and the ability to experience everything on the spectrum, not just based on your preferences, because both can lead you to a place of despair and, and suffering, no matter how far it goes because it's the holding on to that thing or the resistance to it that causes so much more of that suffering. That's interesting because in terms of, of drug use, it's called chasing the dragon, right? Always trying to get higher and higher and higher and higher, always trying to get back to that place of bliss and not come down. And, and it's because you're coming out of a place of hell. Like, I don't want any more of that. I want all of this. And unfortunately, you're not exercising any degree of awareness while you chase that high, while you chase that happiness and that bliss. And that's, that is the problem. On the same token though, and I'm glad this came up because I wanted to talk about it quickly. Alcohol. Alcohol is not evil. And I know that, especially if you've been around alcoholics or people who drink a lot of alcohol, it can come across as evil, like alcohol brings out the worst in people, that kind of thing. Um, it's not that it bring, brings out the worst in us, is that it makes us less aware. And in some ways, that's okay, because we're dealing with a lot. And sometimes we just want to slow that down, come back to our body, maybe get some sleep, in which case, have a half glass of wine, slow yourself down. That's okay. We've all been in those states of mind where it's just like, oh my God, I can't stop thinking about what to do next. That's okay. Sometimes, you know, it, it's a tool like anything else. But if you're drinking, to be so unaware that you actually can't remember the problems that you have, that's the problem. Like that becomes a serious issue because now you've created this bottleneck. It's not that the problems are going away. It's just that you're not allowing yourselves to feel the discomfort that goes with them, which means you can't process them. And that's why alcoholics, they typically get worse and worse and worse. And it's because they're not allowing themselves to feel the pain that would inform the pleasure, that would inform the insight that sets them free. They're not allowing themselves to go through the process of all of this emotional stuff in order to have that context that would come out the other side. Alcohol is so dangerous that way because it suppresses the pain and amplifies it over time. It's like an infection, like you're just covering it up with a bandaid and it's getting to you nonetheless but it's getting to you worse now because you're not addressing it and you can't see it you're hiding it so i wanted to say that for people who have a history of drinking and i know i did 
there was a period of my life where I was pretty much drunk from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed. That was my life. I, I was running from everything. If you've come out of the other side of that and you did so by vilifying alcohol, that's fine too. But remember that that was just what you did to get away from the alcohol, to loosen its impact on you. You vilified it to build some space. And that's okay as a reaction. You don't have to continue to vilify it. It's like anything else. It's just what it is. It's what we do with it. It's our responsibility that's really at play, right? But if you did that for a long period of time, you're probably going to end up finding a lot of emotions coming to the surface now that you're not drinking, especially if, you, if you've been listening to the podcast or doing this kind of work as a whole, you're going to find all of these emotions that you buried coming to the surface. And this is what's important. This is why we often advocate for organic substances like cannabis or so, uh, psychedelic mushrooms, because those two things don't necessarily bring you a state of bliss. It really comes down on your, it comes down to your ability to relax into them and the lessons that they show you. So they bring, a, they bring about a state of awareness rather than escapism. And so there's some work that happens there. And that's actually a lot like the retreat. It's funny because people came to the retreat thinking, oh, this is gonna be a nice relaxing time. And it was, everybody was very, very relaxed. Everybody was having a great time but everyone will admit that there was some serious work that went with that because the more you relax, the more you start to see the triggers that have been stopping you from relaxing and you have to work through them to continue to relax. And each and every opportunity or each and every time you see those triggers, it's an opportunity to go the other way or not. And the more you relax, the more intense it gets only because of the contrast between the way you normally live and the way that you're experiencing life now. So, all that said, I just wanted to say alcohol and certain substances, they're taking you away from awareness. They might be hiding the pain or pursuing the pleasure, but it's awareness itself. It's that mix of pleasure and pain that brings context and wisdom and joy and acceptance. And so just food for thought. Definitely. It makes me wonder with, and we've talked about this a little bit, just with the larger egotistical mentality and collective ego and how fascinating it is how all the things that are pushed in our society and all of the things that we just don't even question promote this sort of lack of awareness and this just you know it is the way it is you know just do what you're told just get in line stop thinking so much stop thinking you know about what this all means just like you know do your job blah 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 and how it's infiltrated so many levels of our society as well from you know the systems that we have in place to just individual people's mentality and the fear of you know not fitting in to the crowd and so we get into certain substances that are more accepted but then they you know disallow you or or take you away from being able to recognize some of the deeper parts of yourself and maybe the things that you know you're not willing to face or you don't want to face so we have all of these opportunities be it you know from a drug like alcohol to just i don't know even any type of distraction that our society promotes be it you know even just watching sports or watching tv or you know the jobs we take on or 
the school system that we go to, like it, it's all pushing us away from the ability to let go of our idea of ourself, which happens through, not always through, you know, this blissful experience, but oftentimes through working through some of the deeper things. And then on the flip side, you know, for a very long time, things like yoga, meditation, were all these like woo woo type things that we, we said, you're weird if you do so, or, or, you know, you don't fit in or you're an outsider, you know, just do what you're told, just like, you know, punch in, punch at the start of the day, punch out at the end of the day, like, you know, be like everyone else, be normal, fit into all of this. And then with that comes, you know, the drugs that allow us, you know, I say drugs, substances like psilocybin mushrooms, like weed that allow you to have the opportunity to let go of some of these things. And I'm, I'm kind of curious. So with these substances, like because our, the collective ego is so strong and they're so not strong, but like such a impactful mentality in our society, like it's infiltrated everything. Do you think to a degree it's infiltrated the substances and the thing? I think it has, and not just substances. Do you think it's infiltrated, you know, the substances that could potentially promote awareness in a sense, the things like, you know, meditation or yoga, they've all sort of been in a lot of ways distorted into an egotistical practice, like an ability to build this idea of yourself and even things like weed or I don't know, mushrooms so much, but I know a lot of people have done a bunch of weed and they've kind of abused it in a way. And they've allowed it to be another form of escape because at the end of the day, it is just a tool. And if, if you're not, if you're not able to see it for what it is and just think of it like the other, you know, egotistical tools that we utilize, like, you know, alcohol to avoid all of those things, we're able to use it in a way that allows us to avoid those things. And even, you know, the opportunities like meditation or yoga practices have in a way been distorted and almost like bastardized into this egotistical frame of being that cuts us off from being able to recognize some of the deeper things about ourselves and and let go of those deeper things and even like we were talking about intrusive thoughts have gotten this really bad rep when maybe they're just another opportunity as well or maybe everything's an opportunity for us to let go. And it's just that we haven't been able to, to recognize that because we're so lost in illusions and the idea of ourselves. Irresponsible. It's because we're irresponsible. That's really it. It's just that we just want the world to be simple. That's what the ego wants. The ego just wants a direct line from problem to solution. This sucks, fix it. That's it. And there's no nuance, there's no understanding in that mentality. And that's the problem is that it's overly simplistic. And it makes it so simple. And because of that, the brain loves it. The brain is just like, yes, simple means safe and certain. That's what keeps this body alive. That's all I want to think about. And so the brain does. And so you're always working against the tendency of the brain to be overly simplistic. That's largely what growing up is. I mean, children are very simplistic. And because of that, we'll walk out in the middle of traffic, right? Because they're focused on something else. 
we learn to be able to think about numerous different things or, or at least to have numerous different considerations at the same time as we progress, as we get more complicated as beings, as we continue to grow, right? So the problem is always that, that oversimplicity. And so, yeah, it can get into anything so long as we're irresponsible, anything. Doesn't matter what it is, even psilocybin mushrooms. You will see people get into mushrooms and go, yes, this is going to fix the world. I just got to keep eating these and it's going to fix me. And it's like, okay, wait till you run out. You know, then the world comes screaming back into your reality and you have to find a way to bridge that gap if you're responsible, right? But if you've been blaming it on the mushrooms or if you've been giving mushrooms the credit for all of your insights that whole time, then more than likely within a year or two, you're going to end up going back to corporate America and regret your time living the dream or living in that spiritual funk, whatever you're going to call it. Just like the, uh, the guy that joined us the other day um, in our group discussion, our, our free public group discussion, which happens every Wednesday. I just wanted to mention that quickly. If anybody would like to join us, just go to dualisticunity.com and register because it's free and seating is limited. That's all you have to do. And we'll see you there. Point is, is that he came in and he had had a moment or probably several months because you don't come to the realization that, oh my God, everything's conceptual in a single day, unless again, you're, you're under a psychedelic influence usually uh, or a near-death experience, that kind of thing. But anyway, so he came to this insight. Then he tried to talk to those around him and they rejected it. And he went screaming the other direction, right? Thinking, nope, none of that's useful at all. Got to stay the way that we were because that was working for me. And I think, you know, I regret seeing all that. That's very much the, the implication that I got from what he was saying is that I kind of wish that I hadn't seen all that <laughs> at all. And it's like, but you're not using it. You're rejecting it. You're trying to return to what you were and you can't. You're causing all kinds, all kinds of conflict for yourself. You may as well just let go and grow from it. But again, anything can be used as a crutch. Any tool can be used as a crutch because what's using it? The ego. Can't get out of it. You know, if the ego is using it, it's a danger. Right? But as long as you keep that in mind, as long as you're responsible, as long as you're recognizing that you're never adding to yourself, you're never trying to accomplish anything, you're never meditating with a point, right? You're meditating because it's your existence and it's nice to just kind of settle into being your existence from time to time. That's really it. That's really all meditation is meant to be. It's like, I'm gonna stop running around for a bit and just be here as the moment and enjoy that. And if it's anything other than that, that's a result of confusion. That's a result of us getting too caught up in time and chaos and all this other conceptual stuff. Like it's so difficult to understand that when you're that confused, that meditating for the point of getting out of confusion is a result of your confusion. It is. Uh, it's so funny because I had such a difficult time understanding that for so long. Like I remember back five years ago when I started listening to some Alan Watts stuff, like I really had no idea what the fuck he was saying for a while, but I just kept listening. Cause I was like, it sounds good in some way. And I don't, but like, I don't get what he's saying. Like don't meditate for the point or don't meditate to, for any purpose. Like it's like, then why the fuck would I do it? Like what that that's so strange to me. And I could not for so long until about a year and a half ago, when I recognize that, you know, I'm not what I think I am, it's like, oh, 
because everything before then, everything essentially was either to build or hope in the hopes of building or in the fear of tearing down the idea of myself. And that's everything, everything I did. I meditated to, you know, be more at peace and be less afraid of the things that could potentially tear me down and to be more appreciative, blah, blah, blah. And, and all of these things that were all enthralled and wrapped around the idea of me. And so recognizing that that doesn't exist to the degree that you think it does, or, or even at all, changes the whole game. It changes everything. But until you recognize that root, and that's why we talk about that so much, because everything, everything you do, everything you do in your life, everything you experience for the most part is going to be distorted as long as you think the idea of you is the reality of you, is the truth of what you are. Everything, no matter what drug you take or what experience you have or what practice you take up, yada, yada, yada. And it's not to say there aren't experiences where there is naturally less of an idea of yourself, you know, letting go of your opinions, your judgments, blah, blah, is letting go to a degree of the idea of you without necessarily actively understanding it. Like it's still going to be there and it's still going to be there in a sense, no matter what, you know, it's not like it goes away completely, but it's, it's how seriously you take it. It's how much you're able to see that it isn't actually the truth allows you to, you know, do something like meditation for the sake of meditating, because, you know, now I do it here and there when I feel like it just because it is fun, because it allows me to explore beyond the idea of myself. And that's interesting because it kind of opened up a new world for me. Because before everything I did, as I mentioned, was through the idea of me. So it's like everything is through this filter. Like you're, you're having every experience, you're having every conversation, everything that's said to you, everything you say to someone else is through this veil. You're literally acting with this like extra weight on top of everything. And so as I've been able to let go of that or see that it isn't the truth, I'm able to actually have experiences and explore things for the sake of exploring them. But it's almost like you you can't even recognize certain things until you let go of that. Like you're literally blind to certain aspects of our reality with that idea of you because you're always perceiving everything through that. You know, you can't actually see someone else if you're perceiving it through the idea of you. And I think I've, I've recognized that in a few one-on-ones recently, like I have, as they're telling me a story about something, you know, frustrating they went through or just a, you know, fucked up experience that is typically due to the collective ego responding out of fear and judgment and trying to keep itself alive. I have felt those feelings so deeply that I almost forget that I'm not the one experiencing them, which isn't even true. Cause like I am, but it's interesting. Like I, that is something that recently has been starting to happen to me that I, I get so lost in it that I'm feeling the feelings that they're expressing. And I almost have to like tap out of it a little bit so I can talk about it 
as opposed to also being engulfed in the feelings that I can tell that they're feeling through the experience. It's like, I don't know if that's just less idea of me, like the walls come down and there's a sensitivity and connection there of being able to see myself in them and in their experience and actually not just put myself in their shoes, but recognize that their shoes are my shoes and I'm in those shoes. But that's been super interesting. And I think that goes can potentially go through all of our experiences to to be able to recognize that you know whatever we're going through if we're perceiving it through the idea of us it's always going to be distorted but as we let go of that we're actually able to see things for what they are and whatever discussion it is be it about you know world economy or you know your neighborhood situation or you know making food or whatever like it it allows you to see things in a different light. And, and that statement, uh, from Krishnamurti, when people are asking like, okay, so when I'm enlightened, like what, what should it feel like, or what should we do with things? And he's like, whoa, 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 hold up. Cause you're not actually able, you're just going to be holding onto an idea until you recognize basically that you're not what you think you are. Like that's, that's the core of it. And that will always cut you off from being able to experience things as they truly are. Or closer to that. Yeah. Wow. There's so many directions that I can go with that. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's like the expression, you know, you're not thinking, you're just being logical, right? Which is uh, David Bohm, who used to talk to Krishnamurti all the time. Actually, that, that's from him. Um, but the same is true for science, right? Like the reason that we're having so, so much difficulty wrapping our head around quantum entanglement and everything that came out of the Nobel Peace Prize this year is because of our concept of us. That's the problem. Like that, that's what Einstein wrestled with too. It's like me looking at the moon shouldn't dictate whether the moon is there. Well, why is that? Because I don't think I should have that ability because of how I perceive myself and all my limitations and everything else. So it's all in the way. And that's what's stopping us from having that insight. That's what's stopping us. And I think it's stopping us from having a lot of other insights. I was mentioning this in the round table as well. I, I don't think it's just us letting go of our, of our concept of ourself that opens up the walls of what we're able to feel or learn from. Because that's what it is. Like I was describing it at the retreat as being like an exposed nerve. Like all of a sudden, you're just feeling everything that's always there. It's always there. People are wearing their mood like a coat if you're aware enough to see it, if you're aware enough to feel it. And when you are, it starts to change how you, inter how you interact with the world. What you were describing earlier, excuse me for one second. How you were, what you were describing earlier about feeling what somebody else is feeling, that's empathy. Empathy goes super deep to the point where there are people who have the experience of being able to feel other people around them without the conversation, just by being in the proximity, just all of a sudden with deep, deep stomach pain. And it's because somebody else sitting very close to you is going through something fairly severe. There are people who have these experiences. The problem is, as with everything, with the ego, all of a sudden you have people who are like, I'm an empath, and it becomes another coat. And it becomes something that they, they kind of carry around and define themselves with. And what does that do? What does that simple act of self-definition do? It cuts you off. It cuts you off. 
And it, it may be a subtle cutoff, but it builds over time, especially the more you value yourself as an empath. Because the fact is, is to be an empath, you must be nothing. If you really want to feel, get out of the way. And that's all there is to it. So as soon as we grab onto that, that label again, we're backsliding. Another label, and I just thought I'd bring this up since we're on dualistic unity raw and what the hell, um, that unfortunately has the opposite effect, I think, than it was intended to have, is the label neurodivergent. Because if you go and look it up, it's an umbrella term for pretty much anybody who doesn't think like your average person. That's the first clue that something's amiss. Who is your average person and what does that mean? And I think that comes from our schooling system. It really does. Like watching my daughter's friends grow up going through the standardized schooling system, going through it myself. We all know, we are expected to know what, we're expected to know what every other kid in our age range knows. And if we don't, then somehow we're not in the norm. We're not measuring up to the bar. Well, I think that whole neurodivergent thing kind of comes from that too. The idea that there is an average way to think that there is a neurotypical is complete bullshit. That's the ego, once again, oversimplifying. So neurodivergent as an insight is beautiful. Oh my God, everybody thinks differently. Look at all of the variety of how we experience the world. And instead it became, well, I'm neurodivergent. Look at all those neurotypical people who don't understand me. It just became another simplistic black and white dichotomy that's only meant to define you. And the problem is, it's not only defining you and cutting you off from everybody else, it's limiting you. It's limiting you. It's telling you there's something wrong just because you don't think like the normal person. I'm telling you right now, your average normal person is in a deep state of hell and insecurity like everyone else, because that's what life is. There is no, no normal person who's just floating through life hunky-dory like everything's fine. No one, and unless they're crazy like me. And even I go through challenges. So that's the whole point. There's no, there is no neurotypical. Beware. I was listening to somebody on TikTok that was saying this, that because they can't seem to find the flow. They, they can't get into a conversation unless they're thinking about themselves, thinking about how everybody else perceives them, thinking about everything that they say before they can even say it. And so it locks them up. They can't just express themselves. But everybody else seems to be doing just fine. Therefore, I'm autistic careful like you're making a lot of assumptions everybody else around you is just as concerned to greater or, or to greater or lesser degrees that's what's dictating how simple it is for them to speak how self-absorbed you are we've just labeled that as being neurodivergent or autistic and it's not to say that there isn't extreme forms of autism i'm not saying that there is absolutely biological basis for extreme forms of autism what i'm saying is that because Autism became a spectrum as wide as it is. It became a spectrum for the ego as well. And so even things that are slightly different from what we think is the norm ends up being labeled as autism instead of just a different way of seeing the world. Sure, there are different challenges for people in the autistic spectrum. That doesn't mean that people outside of that spectrum don't also go through challenges. I'm sure that there are also benefits in the autistic spectrum. And we know there are, because if you're not thinking about all of those social cues, if you, those social expectations, if you're not, like, for example, if you have Asperger's and the biggest problem you have is not reading social cues or not necessarily giving a shit about all the bullshit that people are talking about, that's a gift. 
it may be difficult for you to find equilibrium with the world around you at first, but think about how many insights are gonna be available to you simply because you don't think it's worthwhile to wonder if people should judge you, right? Or if somebody's lying to your face and you know it, you don't sit there entertaining it like, oh, maybe they'll like me. It's not important to you, right? So it's so easy for the ego to just to take an insight about how different we are and break it down to an oversimplified dichotomy that defines us, disempowers us, and pits us against everybody else on the other side of the spectrum. Absolutely. It's very interesting how we're able to do that with basically anything, basically everything that we go through. We're able to put in this box or, or create this definition about it that completely cuts us off from the flow. You're saying people are saying that neurotypical people can't tap into the flow or neurodivergent. It's it's different for everyone, blah, blah, blah. But it's the use of the words. It's the definition of them that's cutting us off from the flow. You can't get to the flow through labels, through ideas, through concepts to letting go of them. And to say that, because when people use terms neurotypical and neuro, neurodivergent, I don't have a ton of experience with coming across a lot of people who talk about it necessarily. It's very, I don't know if it's like a new term in society, but it's very much a new term for me within the last, I don't know, year or so. Um, and I haven't dealt into it too much, but it also creates this idea that it's fixed, that you're born neurotypical or neurodivergent. And that's it for the rest of your life. It's like, holy fucking shit is that limiting. So just taking Ray and I, for examples, I would say that for the majority of the early parts of our lives, a lot of people would place us in a neurotypical box or to some degree, like at least for myself. I don't know. I don't know. I guess maybe not if like, yeah, whatever for myself, I'll just talk about myself. Um, neurotypical because I was very caught up in my idea of myself and how I fit into, you know, society, you know, the idea of me was like a, at the forefront of everything that I did, whether it was being built or torn down, fear, fear of it, whatever. And like a lot of people, you know, a, a neurodivergent, neurotypical labeling expert doesn't exist, but people probably think they are those types of things probably come in and be like, oh, you're neurotypical. And to think that I have no opportunity to be become neurodivergent, which maybe if someone came around now and looked at my content, look at everything we talk about, they would say, oh, you're neurodivergent. You think differently, whatever. It's like, why? Because I've I've let go less and less of or more and more of the idea of me. I think about myself less. And therefore there is less concern for that perception and everything. And so it's just very interesting. Whenever we use ideas, whenever we use labels, it creates this objectivity to it that doesn't actually exist and and disem is incredibly disempowering for us to think that we couldn't shift and change and who's to say and in, in if they were actually things that did exist who's to say that you couldn't wake up in the morning and do some stuff and think a certain way that is neurotypical and five minutes later all of a sudden you're being neurodivergent then you go back and forth and back and forth and and like to think that there's just one box you fit into and that's it is just another egotistical way of feeling more comfortable feeling like you fit in a certain thing as opposed to recognizing that no you could never possibly fit yourself into any sort of box like they those boxes are again 
just ideas that exist inside of your mind that sure we can try and define them and use, you know, broad spanning societal definitions for it, but it's still going to be different inside of everyone's mind. Everyone's idea of neurotypical and neurodivergent differs based on their own experiences, the people in their life, their their own thoughts about themselves, whether they're that or that. And and it kind of goes along with like NPC type thing, type thinking, like neurotypical people or or NPCs, you know, they're just caught in the system. They don't think differently, lost in the matrix, you know, nothing going on in there besides their concern for, you know, how they're running the rat race and and what they're doing on the weekend with their friends. And, and that's it. There's no deeper thinking whatsoever. And it's it's the same sort of egotistical mentality. It's all it is, is another avenue for the egotistical mentality to be expressed. Um, but I'm, I'm curious before based, just based on your facial expressions, when I was talking about, you know, us being potentially labeled in a certain way, like, I'm curious what you think about that and like, you know, your life before waking up or after waking up. And if there's even a way, I know we're talking about, like, you can't define yourself in any way with this. And I'm trying to like. I don't know, define us in certain ways that I'm not actually doing, but just from a perspective of someone who takes those to be the truth, how they may define. Um, I'm I'm just curious more of your thoughts on that. I enjoy you trying to express all that. And I understand. Um, so in my history, because I, I grew up without parents, like I, I just, I had shit from the beginning and as I started to recognize the difference between my life and everybody else's life, I really started blocking stuff out. And as I started getting older in, into grade school, middle school, going towards high school, just before high school, um, there were developmental delays. Like there were some significant developmental delays. I was having problems focusing on certain types of subjects. I couldn't communicate very well. I was very, very removed, very disconnected. Sometimes other times I was right in the mix. And, and so there were a lot of instances where I would meet with with counselors or specialists and, and back then they weren't looking for quote unquote autism, right? They were just more or less figuring, trying to figure out whether you're going to be in the regular class or remedial. And that was it. That's all they were trying to figure out. That was how they, they differentiated. Like, do we hold them back a year? Do we put them in the special class? What do we do? And so I know that if I was to go through the schooling system now, I have no doubt that they would have found a host of new problems or, or a host of new labels for me. And so I had to learn how to develop, how to adapt with those over time. And when I hit high school, it really became obvious that I was not keeping up with the rest of the, of the pack. I was not socially integrating. I was not aligned with anyone. And so I learned what neurodivergent people now call masking, which is really just adaptation. It's really just you putting on a, a different face to adapt to the crowd. It's the ego in full throw, absolutely. And you're trying to pretend that you are like everybody else and that you are what you want them to perceive you to be. So there's nothing really rare there. Like they talk about masking, like it's a new thing. Everybody does it. That's how we get through our insecurity. That's how we uh, blend in with people. We all mask to some degree, when somebody comes over to you and they ask you like, does this dress make me look fat? And you don't tell them the same, the right answer, or you don't tell them your honest answer, that's masking. Like you are pretending to be someone else for the sake of them seeing you a certain way. 
It's not that rare. So as I grew up and I learned how to mask, I learned how to mask very well to the point where, again, I, I started getting into sales. I started getting customer service because that was how I had to survive. And so masking became even more important. And then years later, I recognized I was never being myself. I was always being the mask. I was always being what I thought other people wanted me to be. And that was the ego break. That was the ego disillusion. That was when I recognized, oh my God, I'm never being myself. And everybody who does like me for what I am currently doesn't actually like me because I'm not that thing, which is terrible. When you really look at it, you're like, Jesus, I've just invested so much in a fallacy that can never, ever be true. And so that was the process of me going from the type of person that you would assume is neurodivergent to the type of person that you would assume is neurotypical to the type of person that you would assume is just fucking crazy, but really enjoying his life. That's I like, I like that last line. That's, that's quite the, uh, quite the journey right there. But yeah, the, uh, the idea of masking is very interesting. And as you said, it's, it's pretty much just equatable to the ego. It's, it's, placing yourself in a box so that you're able to more easily integrate with society. And I think there's a spectrum there and there's a big spectrum. And again, same with neurodivergence, neurotypicality. I don't know how do you, how do you even say that? Whatever. Um, the, it, people like to place objective boxes on certain things. And with with masking, I think there's a spectrum there. And it's not to say, just like with ego, it's not to say that masking is always bad. It just depends how seriously you take it. You know, for example, when you're looking into the abyss, you're staring down eternity, recognizing that you're everything, you've always been everything, and, and you've always been and you are everything now. Like, you almost need to mask to a degree. You need to utilize that ego in order to have this experience in any way, shape, or form. So to experience, as we've said, like the ego is your ticket to experience. So is masking because it's basically the same thing. And yet we we get caught up again in, in objectives, in extreme saying like, oh, masking, you don't want to mask. And it cuts you off from the experience that you're having. It cuts you off from the flow as well, because sometimes that is useful. And so with, you know, just with that example, for example, does this dress make me look fat? Obviously you're going to even, I feel like even in a true response, there's going to be some level of masking say it does make them look kind of fat like that's also interesting because there's a lot of layers to that because looking fat or you know overweight or you know whatever the fucking pc term is these days is also subjective like there is no objective fat and skinny and so it's like utilizing a subjective opinion which is objective to you, sort of, but then it's going to be masked because maybe you're not going to be incredibly blunt. But even if you are incredibly blunt, say you think that it does make someone look 
super heavy or heavier than they typically would. It's basing it off of an idea of what you think they typically are relative to that. So the dress is making them look different to you based on your perception, which is based on you. And then to say that it makes them look heavy or, or whatever, like heavy is going to be relative as well to your idea of normal. And so everything is based on our perception of what normal is. And it's like, we all have these equalizing barometers inside of us. That's true to us and only us because there is no objective perceptions for everyone. I'm doing my best to get this across. There's like, so I feel like just that statement right there, there's so many layers to it that I almost can't, I I, I don't even want to go try and explain all of them, but it all comes back to our perception, even a statement like that to be object or to not mask at all is still masking, even when we're thinking it's, it's not. So even if we're living masklessly in like the egotistical idea of it, it's still masked because it's still through our experiences and perception, like to actually experience masklessness. I don't think that's even possible. But uh, I, I yeah, think you I just know. went to a whole new level of masking. I think you would just went to like meta masking where you're not just talking about masking yourself and, and your genuine state of being, but masking yourself as everything. Um, going to go back down just a level from there, just because um, you can go down that endlessly. And we'll talk about the dangers of deconstructing too much at some point. Um, basically, the way that masking is looked at is just not being authentic just not being yourself, right? Worrying about how other people look at you. So if normally you would be quiet and you, you're outspoken more often than you would be because you're trying to fit in, people would look at that as masking. And we look at it as negative. We look at it as something that we're forced to do because society is not accepting, which is often kind of the case, but I don't necessarily look at it as a negative so much as an act of consideration and empathy. You are in a society built on boxes. If you're not at least appearing to have a box, you're going to make a lot of be boxed people uncomfortable. So you have to mask to some degree. You have to kind of fit in. And then there's a danger in that where you're laughing along to something that you shouldn't be, in which case now you have to be authentic and you have to stand up and be willing to you know, stand out a little bit for sure. But there is some middle ground where you're not necessarily rocking everyone's boats. You're rocking some boats where selectively you can. This is actually... Uh, a discussion we were having yesterday with the people from the retreat, from the last retreat, about the importance of going back to your life and being selective about you know the bombs that you drop in your life. Like you don't have to be dropping them all over the place. They have way more impact if you drop tiny little ones selectively where they're going to be the most perceived or they're going to have the most efficiency, right? So it's important to do that. But in terms of masking, I think the problem is that we feel like we can't be ourselves and that we have to be this thing instead of if we were to be ourselves, it would end up making a lot of a lot of other people afraid, more afraid than I think we're aware because they're not willing to let go of the idea that they're supposed to be something. And so to encounter somebody who has let go of the idea that they're supposed to be anything is very jarring. 
it's very jarring. And you can say, well, that's not my problem. And you would be right, that that's not your problem. But the consequence is gonna come full circle because you are everything. The ripples that you make are your ripples. So if you're gonna go out there and cause massive waves, expect them to come back at some point. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. And I've been discussing with a few people about it recently about you know the process of, of bomb dropping and just going fucking scorched earth on your life and, and the people you love is there's always going to be a consideration because you have in those types of situations, you know, not control because you can't control how people are going to react, but you can have an idea of how they'll probably react based on their mentality. And you are able to exercise some discernment for the way that you act. And a lot of it comes down to quite frankly, like how difficult do you want to make your life? Because if you're experiencing a lot of suffering because of the people around you not accepting you or coming back full force with, you know, as the collective ego trying to keep itself around, you're going to make your life a lot more difficult for yourself. And if you're doing it, you know, to try and uh, I think there's if, if you're doing it to try and get at them in a certain way, it can really cut off your ability to make the impact that is possible. And so it makes me wonder because, and I'm just speaking from my own experience, because I think, you know, a year ago I came at it at that, with that sort of mentality, like you guys are living in fucking fairy tales and it's absurd and I'm going to make it as well known as I can and, and show you how absurd this is based on your distortion and coming at it from that way is going to cut you off. Like you're working with a limited amount of, of resources from, you know, reality or the deeper shit that you can tap into when you've let go of your idea of yourself more or the way that you think it should go or how it should be received because you're, you're still coming at it from a pretty egotistical mindset of seeing the division between them trying to change them. And even when you're coming at it from like, you know, a recognition of unity, if you're expressing it in that way with that mentality, like you're kind of not seeing it in that moment when you're, when you're doing those things. And so there's a sense of, uh, I guess I guess it's discernment for the situations you put yourself in and how ready you are to handle that I think goes into the consideration there as well because if you're just and and it's funny how it goes this way if you've just started to recognize this and you're like holy shit holy shit everything's fucked all these people are living in illusions and this is fucking nuts like you're just seeing it. You haven't worked through as much. And so you're kind of off balance in a way because you're so new. To, I say new. I don't know. I, they're just words. They're just words. But you're, you're so new to it that you're kind of off balance. And again, this is me speaking about myself and my own experiences. I was off balance. And so I wasn't able to handle the responses as well, because I was coming at it from a shaky perspective of 
kind of putting myself up here as someone who's recognized this and you're being ridiculous for continuing to believe in sky daddy or whatever it may be. And so I would, I would feel a lot more frustration inside of me. And, and it's like a, a degree of anger and then you're caught off guard and you get a lot of pushback. And because you're coming at it from the limited idea, you're not able to even respond in a way that's clear. So you get caught in situations where you're like, oh, shit, like in your head. I don't I don't know where to go with this. That's they're making a decent point. And, and I haven't really, you know, explored this avenue as much because you're cutting yourself off from that flow, perceiving that division and perceiving it to such a degree and being off balance with just you know, coming at it from anger and rage and whatever it may be. So I think if you're able to come at it from a, a clearer perspective or, or a recognition that you don't have to change anyone, that your experience and your ability to be free in yourself without telling everyone about it or trying to change everyone will actually have more of an impact. And as you deepen into that experience, over time, say like, you know, you, you live in that for a year or something, you're going to have so much, such a better base of, of being able to see things for how they are in that mentality that then you can start, then you start, you know, picking at things or, you know, tossing in little things here and there, because it's such a, so much more of a stable place that you're coming from through those experiences of, you know, actually being it and being able to express the freedom that comes with it, as opposed to just coming at it like you guys are being absurd, you're suffering, and and there's reasons you're suffering, but you're defending your suffering, and and just being able to say like, hey, you know, there's another way to live, and and it's pretty freeing, and et cetera, et cetera. So there there's lots of ways to come at it. There's no right way, but I think there's always things to consider and consequences to to everything that we do. So it's important to keep that in mind. Yeah, as much as you can. And on that note, it's also important to recognize that often there's what you think you're doing and then what's actually happening, which is kind of funny. Um, sometimes people go back to their lives after having a bunch of insights and they start dropping bombs thinking that they're trying to wake up others. And what they're actually doing is making room for their own change. They're actually solidifying the changes that have happened within themselves by making so much of a ruckus around them that they have to they have to commit to that change. They're, they're destroying relationships. They're cutting all of these ties and they're making it so they actually have to commit to the changes that they're, they're seeing. And on that level, wow, you know, well done. There's a certain degree of warrior-ness to that. But again, you know, mind the people around you. You can, you can cut ties, you can burn bridges, but you don't necessarily need to be the villain in doing so on that note sometimes you will just be perceived as the villain regardless of what you do and that's okay too that's okay too it really just comes down to you but yeah it's interesting because sometimes it's like if we if we make the people around us aware of how much we've changed it's like now we can believe how much we've changed a little bit more and so sometimes we're trying to self-validate by creating such a big event in the lives of the people around us it's like oh, look look and meanwhile it's like but you're still doing the same egotistical thing you're just doing it with a new flair and you've got yourself some robes and some incense now but it's still you just trying to prove yourself right at the end of the day and, and so that's the importance of it is, is recognizing it your value hasn't changed just because you've recognized that your value is measureless
and and your ability to you know change other people has nothing to do with your with your value like being able to go into a situation and you know explain it super clearly like that doesn't make you more valuable or going into a situation and and not being super sure how to explain it or or where to go doesn't make you less valuable like even coming at it and and from trying to change people in your life or this egotistical type of mentality a lot of times you know you'll bring up questions or express consequences to certain actions they'll be like okay then what's the answer and cuz that's such a you know egotistical go to and you know i don't always have answers i i rarely have answers i'm i just have a lot of of questions and recognitions as opposed to answers because answers you know cut you off from all the other potential answers and so just because you get that response that okay you know you have all these questions and and you recognize this stuff sure but then you know what's the answer we have answers over here we have it figured out so like what's your answer and a lot of times that'll you know push people down and it'll take away a lot of the confidence that they may have had going into it because they're like, fuck, you know, I don't have an answer. Should I have an answer? And they start questioning themselves and their own ability. And then, you know, they get really quiet for a while and they don't continue asking questions because they don't have answers or or the right way to do it. And that's just being, that's just the ego doing its best to, again, continue to survive because, you know, there aren't objective answers. And every time you hold on to it, all it does is cut you off from it. It's like we've talked about with setting goals. You know, say we set a goal of getting a million downloads on the podcast in a month. It's like that's going to cut us off from, you know, maybe getting two million downloads. Like, why, why settle on that? Like, there's infinite opportunities. Why settle on like, oh, this is this is what we need to do. This is this will get us there. This is this is the answer to this. All that answers do are cut you off from any of the other potential answers. And so it's okay to not have answers. It's okay to have, you know, suggestions and and more thoughts and more conversations that eventually you get to a place of a clearer state of action, you know, a clearer action to take, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's an answer or the correct thing to do. It's just an opportunity that you have to do based on know all the things that you've discussed and talked about and then you do that and then you learn more and then you respond and then you flow and then you shift and change and and just continue doing that for for all of eternity but i think the one of the biggest issues now is that we do settle on answers so often that it cuts us off from the ability to learn and change and shift and grow and evolve like we we've become pretty stagnant because we just think we have the answers all the time and we think we need to have the answer and so we we oftentimes come to them out of fear of not having the answer as opposed to the recognition that you know it's okay to not have the answer and continue moving forward oh if only life were so simple that it came down to questions and answers eh wouldn't that be nice if life was about questions and answers because we tend to think it is don't we we really want it to be like that it's like i have lots of questions here's the answer aha now I have something I can base my value on and judge everybody else who doesn't have this answer. Fantastic. And it's you're never really looking for the answer then. You were just looking for a sense of value and certainty. It really wasn't about the question or the answer. It's just that you want it to be a very simple, simple journey from 
I feel valueless to I am valuable. It's got to be based on an answer, right? If I have the right answer, that's it. And that's the danger. That is, we always oversimplify. This episode should be called oversimplification because that's what really all we're talking about is that we don't like all the gray area. We don't like having faith in ourselves. Somebody was asking that in one of our groups. It's like, so it's really just trying to figure it out on our own. It's like, yeah, as best you can. You know, don't beat yourself up. Learn from it as you go. That's life in a nutshell. Um, I did want to take a moment here because we are going to be releasing this as an episode tomorrow. Uh, just to mention that we have another retreat coming up on April 1st to April 9th. I'm stoked about this. This is going to be amazing. It's coming up quick. We already have two tickets sold. Uh, there are seven tickets remaining. They are currently only available on Patreon. Uh, if you would like to join us at patreon.com slash dualistic unity, you can get early access to the tickets. Uh, tier two and tier three supporters currently get access. Tier two has a $150 discount on tickets. Tier three has a $300 discount on tickets. And I just wanted to mention, because I don't think we actually ever have, um, tier three supporters on Patreon actually get a lot. We mention them in the credit roll of all of our videos. So if you are a social media creator or a business owner, and you would like an honorable mention at the end of all of our video episodes, you can become a tier three supporter and that's included. Not only that, but you get uh, merch. Every three months, we send you a t-shirt or a hoodie because they're awesome and you deserve one. And you also get access to an exclusive Sunday group that's only for tier three. It's a very small group at the moment. The conversations are always a lot of fun, but if you're looking for a way to connect more one-on-one -on -one or in a more private setting, the tier, three, the tier three groups are absolutely your best bet. They happen every Sunday now. So absolutely check that out on the schedule on our website. Uh, additionally, you get a free 30 minute session with either Andrew or I immediately upon becoming a tier three supporter and you get one every four months after the fact. So we touch base with you, see how you're doing, make sure that you have a chance to discuss your insights with us. It really is a valuable, valuable package. Uh, if you would like to support us on Patreon, of course, we very much, very much appreciate it because it's what gets us by. It's one of the reasons that we were able to make this shift into full-time dualistic unity. If it wasn't for the support of our community on Discord, the support of our community on Patreon, the support of everybody who listens to these and leaves a comment or just gets in touch with us, we wouldn't be here. So thank you so much. And I really hope that we can see you at the retreat this coming April. There's so much that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Patreon chats are probably my favorite part of, of content. They're always a lot of fun. Everyone comes with different ideas, different insights, different thoughts, different things they're going through. And People, I'm not saying they're like therapy sessions by any means, but it's almost like a therapeutic type thing. Like it is, I don't know, probably pretty comparable to therapy because it's not only a one-on-one -on -one perspective, like a therapy session or a one-on-one -on -one session is kind, is kind of limited, honestly. And when you have a group of people or even just, you know, a few people, there's so many more experiences that you're able to to tap into and to recognize so and just in and of itself coming on there and talking about an experience you're going through that maybe you've been having a tough time with and you've been having a tough time expressing it to anyone in your life because you know they come at it from a certain mentality they may be judgmental and and you may be concerned about how you're perceived based on sharing that there might be pushback there might be you know 
concern beyond the concern for you, but the concern for you know themselves and how this what this means about them for being in a relationship with you based on you know what you're talking about. And so I think these have been awesome because they aren't massive groups by any means. And people are able to come on and be very open and be very vulnerable. Us included, like we talk about our experiences, like we kind of get a behind the scenes view into, you know, into deeper parts of our lives and the experiences that we're going through. And so we're sharing that as well, because we're want to be a part of that type of environment that allows people to share what they're afraid of sharing in other situations in a non-judgmental environment. And, you know, it's basically what those calls are like. And then the retreat is a very similar type of situation, except obviously it's for eight days. I'm trying to think about how many hours that would be. So that's like a hundred and like 200 hours straight. Is that right? Two, four. Yeah. 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 yeah about 200 hours straight of being around us nonstop and, and being in an environment. It's not just, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, three hours. It's like 200 hours of being immersed in an environment that is judgment-free allows you to be yourself, allows you to express yourself authentically, let your guard down, allow other people to around you to let their guard down and communicate through that type of space and that type of experience, which allows for so much more growth than any other cut off type experience. So, you know, the Patreon calls are awesome. The retreat are the same type of environment, just actually in person and the impacts that are made are potentially significantly more long lasting because you're actually able to be in it in person, immersed in it, be a part of it, be involved in it. Um, but both have been incredible and they're, they're so much fun to experience. And, you know, they're not, they're not like these serious type of things. Also, they're very like relaxed, laid back, casual experiences because it's the mentality that, that matters for those things. And if it were, super rigid and like, you know, super structured and agenda based. And, you know, on this Patreon call, we're talking about this topic. And it's like, that just cuts us off from what potentially could be talked about that could be way more fitting for that conversation. If we went into certain discussions or even, you know, certain podcast episodes or live streams with a, with an agenda, like from, you know, first 30 minutes, we're going to talk about this topic. Well, what if it makes more sense to talk about that topic for 10 minutes and the next topic for 40 minutes? And what if it makes more sense to, you know, talk about whatever comes to mind that is able to ex be expressed through us as opposed to limiting it to, you know, a superficial idea of what the best thing to talk about is because, you know, we fear the unknown of what may come out if we don't have a certain structure in place. So that's, you know, if there's a way to express dualistic unity's mentality as a whole, it's that it's it's letting go of those structures that we put in place because we're afraid of our true potential being expressed through that collective sort of being able to tap into what is closer to the truth of what we are. And so that's just the mentality going into every type of situation because it's about embodying that mentality. It's not about, you know, getting to a place through the structures that we provide for ourselves out of fear because we're afraid of that infinite potential that we're able to tap into when we let go of the structures and of the ideas of what the best thing to do in every situation is. So you can't really know until you experience it and, and are it. <laughs>
yeah and then it's just watching it unfold or being part of it unfolding but uh yeah the the groups that that we run and again it's not just uh on patreon we do one free public group every week now on wednesday you can register for that you can join us for an hour with a bunch of other people in the room chat with us there get a feel for it but admittedly there are members on patreon who have joined who come into the groups they don't turn on their screen they don't they don't turn on their audio they just listen to the groups because there is a lot of content there that we don't necessarily get to share on the podcast there's a lot of engagement we go back and forth with people we answer questions that often other people can relate to and so there's literally like a dozen extra hours of content that goes on Patreon every week. If you can't make the groups, we always post them after the fact so you can watch the video there. But it's in that that you see what we're really doing here. The podcast is fun. These conversations are fun. I love chatting with Andrew, for sure. I love chatting with our guests. But it's the engagement and the process of growing together that really makes dualistic unity what it is. It's the reason that we do this. These, these conversations are fun, but they're meant to facilitate a state of mind that makes it easier for you to relax and engage with the people around you, because that's the point. It's about relaxing and enjoying the experience of being yourself, or at least getting more out of it, getting the most out of it that you can, because you're not in its way. It's not necessarily trying to accumulate the most out of your life so much as allowing yourself to be your life undistorted. And that's it. And that's what these groups are for. And it's funny because my wife, who is a counselor, knows all about the importance of the therapeutic relationship. And we were talking about the retreat after the fact. And it's so interesting because looking back, while nobody at the retreat was a counselor except my wife, but she wasn't there in that capacity, everybody had formed a therapeutic bond with everyone else. It was, it was what group therapy hopes to be, basically, but everybody was in the right state of mind to make the most of it, to appreciate it as it was happening, to participate to the best of their ability, and to have the right intention doing so. It was beautiful. And the groups are very much like that, too, to the best of our ability, unfortunately, because they, they are a limited amount of time and there is a mute button, there is a certain degree of distortion in how well we can have that conversation. But again, we're going to keep coming up with more ways for us to get involved with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis, actually in their face, in person with them, because there's so much, so much that we can do together. It's just about getting together and enjoying that and sending out the ripples from doing so. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, and it's funny you bring up group therapy. I think that's an interesting idea and in how through not having any idea of how the retreat was going to go or what it was going to look like or what should be happening or shouldn't be happening. Like the ideal type of situation with group therapy was able to be expressed. And it's funny thinking about how much different it would have been if we came into it thinking, oh, this is going to be a group therapy retreat. Because immediately, like with every idea, every concept, every label, it cuts us off from the ability to allow it to be what that actually means. Like if we went into that type of situation thinking like, oh, this is, you know, a week long group therapy session, people are, it's all ego. It's like people are inherently going to be concerned with, you know, are they, does that mean they're, they have to tap into their, you know, higher 
therapeutic self, like their therapist self, you know, or, or play this character. And, and then everyone's going to be playing a character. Everyone's going to be playing this idea of what they think it is to be a therapist. And, you know, then it's like whoever's hosting the retreat is going to be like, well, I got to be, you know, top therapist, highest therapist. Like if I am, I helping people the most because I'm a, I'm a host. What if one of the guests is actually more helpful to someone else? Then does that mean less about me? Does that mean, and everyone else is trying to be this thing. And then they're like, Ooh, does this mean like I'll be looked at in this way? And it's just so funny how anytime we label a situation in a certain way, even the idea of being a therapist cuts you off from the ability to actually be what therapy is meant to be which is just a connection, genuine connection with someone without so much distortion. So when you go into it with a certain label, an idea of how you think it's going to go or what you should do or how you should act in any situation, not just therapeutic situation, it's going to cut you off from the having the ability to actually tap into what it means to actually do that thing. So it's like every time we have to just let go of any idea of what we think it is in any situation, be it a, you know, presentation, a talk, a therapy session, a one-on-one, -on -one, a conversation with a friend, a conversation with a family member, you know, a book that you just started reading. Anytime you have an idea of the way you think it should be, it's going to cut you off from being able to experience it for what it actually is. So we have to be willing to let go of the labels and the ideas and the opinions of the way we think it's going to go because then we won't allow it to be what it is. <laughs> well, we even forget that the etymology of therapy is healing. Like we actually start to think like I'm fixing you instead of we're allowing ourselves to be fixed together, that we're actually repairing ourselves just by being here together in a certain state of mind. Like we forget that we actually start to think of ourselves as therapists, and that puts us on this pedestal. It's like, well, I know what's wrong with you. No, you don't. You don't. It doesn't matter how many books you've read. It doesn't matter how many certificates are on the wall behind you. You're not infallible. You don't know everything. The fact is that everybody's life is a rich nuance. It's all gray area. And you're not going to be able to do any good for them by just, you know, espousing conceptual strategies when what they really need is somebody to listen to them. That's it. Just allow them to feel safe, allow them to feel like they're important and valuable because they are. It's not something they need to prove. That's, I think, the point is that if you know that, if you know that you are valuable, that your value is beyond measure, that there's nothing that you can do that's ever going to add to that, then really all you're ever doing is giving people an opportunity to be around that, that complete lack of danger because you're not trying to manipulate them. You're not trying to get anything out of them. You're not looking for anything. So there's no pushing and pulling. So when they're around you, they're about as safe as they're going to be, which is what we all need. That's all we're looking for. We're just looking for a way to be around people and not feel like they're either trying to take advantage of us or, or that they're trying to satiate their own need from us, right? We just want to be and have people around us who are being. And that's the beauty of the retreat, admittedly, and the beauty of everything that we intend going forward for dualistic unity, because we want to make this available to people. We had this conversation a little while ago about why it's so difficult to wake up in this society. And it's because there are so 
few clues. There are so few little fragments out and about in this waking egotistical nightmare to give us the implication or to give us the clue that we actually can get out, that there is something else other than this mentality. And so we, we find them over time. Some of us it takes years, some of us it takes decades, but the point is that we find those clues and we become one. We become a clue ourselves, And now we're out in the world where everybody else can stumble upon us and then become their own clue. So we are changing all of this just by changing ourselves. That's all it is. But there are just so few opportunities for us to find those clues. So right now, that's what we're doing. We're throwing clues into the field, as many as we can. You're out there, you're doing your thing. That's perfect. It's all you need to do. Just be you. Question yourself. Never get up on that high horse. Just be free. And you're a clue for everyone else. And that's it. So dualistic unity, our, our, not our goal, but the direction that we'd like to take, and, and with your help, of course, is to create more opportunities for us clues to get together, to hang out, to have conversations that allow us to become even better and more obvious clues to go back out into the world. And that's it, just ripples and ripples, waves and waves, tsunamis and tsunamis until the whole pond is changed. And we're just gonna keep doing it. Glad to have you here with us. Absolutely. All right, I wanna do a shift directions a little bit um, to something I've been thinking about and kind of was, was reflected and, and discussed a bit on a recent Community Topics episode. And so I'll, I'll get into that in a second, but sometimes a question that I'll get that I find to be interesting is, you know, oh, you say all this stuff, you talk about all this stuff, you know, what if you're wrong? What if everything you think is wrong? And it's, it's the funniest thing because it's such a interesting mentality because it, it's rooted in the idea that there's something right. And it, like this, this dichotomy of, of there is a right. And then there's all this other stuff that might be wrong or might not. And it's like, okay, well, I have my thoughts about it. You have yours and you know, I might be wrong and, and you might be wrong and, and whatever. And it's like, okay, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. And so the, uh, <laughs> and the thing I was, I was, I've been thinking about a little bit and I was talking to someone recently about the idea that everything so like everything exists inside of your mind and so we hold on to these ideas of ourselves but there's there's this thought that like you know everything's within you and and you know look within all the answers are are within you but the idea with that and, and sort of the distortion that comes with that is is the idea of ourselves and so we think of looking within as only you know inside of our brain, like inside of me. But the reality is that all of reality exists inside of you also. So looking, yeah, looking within, yeah, inside in quotes, looking within can come from looking without. But if you are, are you know, looking without to other people or ever, other people's thoughts, but the ability to do so is going to be distorted by your self-image, by your idea of yourself. So if you do get, you know, advice or, or thoughts from someone else or, or see a different perspective and you don't see that as looking within, 
that advice or, or whatever conversation you're having is going to be distorted by your self-perception. But the reality is that you looking within, so you ask them a question, ask someone's advice, they give you some and you're like, oh, that's awesome. But I, I've also been told that, you know, all the answers are inside of me and I should be able to look within. The reality is that that is something that's inside of you. And that is looking within. But if you think that it isn't, it's going to be distorted and, and your ability to recognize that and take something from that is going to be distorted based on how you perceive yourself. And so it's, it's I don't know, it kind of trips me out thinking about this, honestly, which is fun. I like being tripped out by by things, but it's very interesting seeing, you know, the quote unquote external as the internal and the internal as the external and there being no division between the two and there being no external or internal because there's no actual, there's no wall anywhere. So there's no external or internal, but there's the perception of them. And so based on how you see yourself is going to be how you perceive and, and see everything else and understand things. So it comes back again to how you see yourself always. So whatever type of advice you get or, or things you talk about is going to be distorted based on that perception and that idea. And again, I don't know, going so like, that's that's a bunch of words and going back to that idea of what if you're wrong that question you know, like okay andrew that's a bunch of stuff like what if you're wrong it's like i didn't say it answer though so how could it be wrong it's just a bunch of stuff it's like what if it doesn't exist inside or outside of me i don't know sometimes like people ask those questions and i i don't even know how to respond i'm like what it, what do you even mean by by wrong? I think my favorite response is, you don't think I've considered that? <laughs> because it's true. It's like we're not just glomming on to something and saying, this is the definitive answer. If anything, what you just described is a state of constant uncertainty. Right? That's what you're trying to describe in all of those words. Um, and that's what it is, but you're looking at people who are just trying to say, no, no, this is the answer I have. Do you have anything contradictory to that? You have your own answer. It's like, no, actually it's the same path that you're on. Just continue down. Like I'm not on a different path. I'm just waving at you from a little bit farther down saying, Hey, there's more stuff down here. Right. And what they're saying is, well, what's wrong with this part of the path? It's like, well, nothing, but there's more. Like, there is more to the path, but there's that's that whole thing. And that's why, especially with belief, it's like, well, if I'm wrong, then, you know, nothing, there's nothing to worry about because we're all accepted. But if you're wrong, you're going to burn in hell. And it's, like, that's the funniest thing. It's like, you don't even understand that you're already suffering through your own hell. Like, that's the problem of your certainty about this answer that you're holding on to, as opposed to the uncertainty that I live with it. Back to what you were saying, though, I just wanted to toss a little bit more in there that it's not just that the lessons that you get from those that are within you um, are distorted by your own perception of yourself, but they can also be distorted by that character's perception of their self, because every character that you run into is also 
on that spectrum of acceptance, whether or not they're the whole or the part, right? And so they're talking to you from a state of mind that you have to be aware that you also exist within. So it's not just knowing yourself as in a singular concept or a singular state of being, but knowing how vast you are, that changes how you interact and what you learn from everybody around you, right? Like this is the things that I've had people talk to me sober, get certain lessons out of me, talk to me later on a psychedelic trip and go, were you always talking on this level? Like, were you always saying things on this level or at this depth? It's like, well, yeah, but you're taking different things away from it based on the state of mind that you're in. So it doesn't matter necessarily how clear this character might be coming across to him. It really just comes down to you to a large degree. But if I'm really distorted, that makes it way harder because now you're trying to sort through your shit and my shit. Mm, okay yeah oh man yeah there's so many sides to that too and i yeah i mean that that makes sense and i think that's why it's important to keep in mind that a lot of people are distorted in a way and most the vast majority of people yes, you come I across am. a lot of me is distorted yeah yeah a lot of myself that you come across doesn't recognize that they're they're you so that that sensitivity is important and the recognition that that's probably going to respond that person that you know thing that exists within you is going to respond in a certain way based on how distorted they are and they're going to say things based on where on that spectrum they fall and there's you know again nothing wrong with that state of mind or, or whatever side of the spectrum that they're on but i guess it's important to to keep that in mind at all times yeah and there's more lessons there as a result right like that's the point is when you're dealing with somebody who is super lost in their in their ego who's super lost in their idea of themselves there are so many lessons that you can learn from that because we're all kind of going through the ripples of, of the consequence that comes from our overcommitment to illusion. And so if you're not judging that person, not only can you see some of the lessons that you're going through, but you can sometimes catch a glimpse at some of the insights that are starting to form for them. You can actually start to learn how to, how to help them, how to cultivate those insights just by being part of their environment that's more conducive to it, right? But again, that sensitivity, there's no way to standardize that. And I think that is the biggest thing about this is that there are no textbooks that are gonna teach you how to be aligned with the flow of what's happening. It really is a state of mind where you're just not thinking about yourself, where you're just not thinking about yourself. That doesn't mean you're not thinking, it's just that you're not focused on this concept of you being defined or redefined or, or diminished or, or built up every second of every day through every action that you do. Like, that's the problem with this mentality. It's like, everything I do has some meaning about me. None of it, none of it means anything about you at all. It's just all part of what you're going through. It doesn't have any actual meaning in terms of definition. It doesn't change you. You are change. Yeah, I feel like our 
that that's the spectrum almost is how much you attach your idea of yourself to the experiences that you have to the insights that you have are you saying that they're yours or are you recognizing that it's just an aspect of your experience right now the experience you went you went through and you know the praise you received or the judgment you received for it to what degree are you attaching that perception to your idea of yourself are you entirely attaching to it or are you recognizing that it doesn't actually mean anything about you and that brings up another thought about detachment because people will get confused into thinking that you know what we're talking about is detaching from reality when the re when the reality is that it's the opposite it's from recognizing that you are reality and detaching from reality is actually holding on to that idea of yourself and the distortion that comes with that, thinking that you're something separate from reality or experiencing reality, not recognizing that you are it. And so with that, though, a lot of people, I guess, I guess the main difference that I typically reference is the what get, comes down to the responsibility of it. And are you willing to take responsibility, although it doesn't, you don't attach it to that idea of yourself. You're still responsible for that as the collective for that experience. But sometimes people get confused into saying like, oh, well, you know, that's not me, I'm not attaching it to me. So, you know, whatever. And it's a very toxic type of behavior that can arise through that. And it's so like, is that I, I'm having a tough time understanding, like, is that a form of that egotistical sort of individualistic mentality of, you know, recognizing that it doesn't mean anything about you and then going beyond that and saying, so therefore I'm not responsible for it. Is that because they're still perceiving an I separate from things? So I just don't able... want to be responsible. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, right? Like, it's kind of like the difference between the, like, nothing means anything and nothing means anything. It, it really just yeah. depends on the state of mind that you're coming from, right? And, that, and that's it, is that when you come to the, the realization that concepts aren't reality, that doesn't mean you don't have to interact with them. That doesn't mean that you're not still using them, right? And so just because nothing means anything about you that doesn't take away from your experience in terms of destruction or construction or, or in terms of empathy or being cut off. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything about your experience, except that now you have a slightly different view of what this is all about. And you have to work with the world from that different view. But, you know, people want to, again, we, we want to oversimplify. We want to just, nothing means anything. So I don't ever have to care again. Give yourself a bit of time. Something's going to happen. That's going to make you care. And then you're going to have to reconcile that against this current mentality that you're holding on to that nothing matters. Yeah, like it's still always going to be a resistance to what is and holding on to the idea that, you know, nothing means anything. And therefore, that's the state of mind that you're acting from, as opposed to recognizing that no idea or concept you hold on to, including nothing's, nothing means anything is going to cut you off from that. And and so it's always coming at everything as that, not always, but to a degree of that lack of an idea 
of how you have to perceive it or should perceive it or the way you think it is allows you to actually experience it. So holding on to the idea that everything means everything or nothing means everything is like a, a layer between yourself and the reality of that experience. And so it's always going to cut you off. If you, it, again, if you hold on to any idea going into any situation, it isn't, it isn't necessary. And it, it's always going to distort your ability to see it for what it is. Yeah. yeah Cause it's always gray area. It's always yeah. gray area. Like it's never what you think it is. It's always just what it is. And there are infinite perspectives of what that is. Right. And that's the danger. It's like, no, no, it's this. It is what it is. Whatever you think that is, is not the case. Right. So you have to kind of live in that ambiguity. And that's again, where we tend to falter because we don't have any faith in ourselves. Ambiguity is terrifying to us just because we, again, we, we haven't lived much, right? Like we, we try to, especially, and this is especially the danger with the schooling system, the way it is right now, because, you know, all you have to do is learn, just pound all this crap into your head and then boom, you're an adult, go out into the world. It's like, holy Christ, like once upon a time at, at 12 or 13 years old, you would have been sent out into the woods for three months to, to survive on your own. There's some context for you. All of a sudden, now you've got some, some life lessons that nobody's telling you to memorize. They're just drilled into you from having to survive on this planet. We're so goddamn comfortable. Like, we're so comfortable at the end of the day. And that's the entire point of our society is more comfort. So it's not helping us any because comfort's great. I'm not going to say I don't like comfort. Who doesn't like comfort? But it's just like pleasure and pain. Discomfort is supposed to inform your appreciation of comfort, right? If you're comfortable all the time, being uncomfortable from time to time is going to be good for you and everybody around you, right? It's just that, as always, we take a very simple idea and we just keep it simple. We don't want to look at the nuance and that includes about our current trajectory towards comfort, right? Like we don't recognize that the reason people are largely unhealthy and overweight is because our society currently is just like, go to work, sit in front of your TV, go to work, sit in front of your TV, go to work, sit in front of your TV. And when you're not doing that, just get in your car and drive to where you're going. And that's all our society is about. Why? Well, because it drives the economy and it makes things nice and simple. So nobody has to question anything, right? Whereas we could completely redesign our society. We could actually redesign our cities as a whole. So that way people are within walking distance from where they work. Like there are things that we could do but it would require us to reprioritize what life is all about, which requires us to reprioritize what our life is all about and to recognize that that's our responsibility and that there are other people who are willing to do that and want to talk about it. And on that note, I just want to remind everybody that you can join us every week on patreon.com slash dualistic unity for group discussions where we do this all the time. And the reason I bring that up is because we are two minutes away from ending this episode of Dualistic Unity Raw. Uh, we're going to be going onto Patreon in about 10 minutes uh, to talk to our tier two supporters. And then the tier three group will be immediately after that for another two hours. We would love to see you there. If you can't join us on Patreon, we understand, but do sign up for the free group on Wednesday. We'd love to see you face-to-face -face, or, or you don't have to show your face if you don't want to, but we would love to have you in a group so you can see what it's like, because it's very different than what we're doing here. There is a lot of engagement. There are a lot of people out there on this path more than you might think. And I think that is one of the most valuable parts about joining us on Patreon is recognizing that it's not just Andrew and I out here having this conversation. There are a lot of people out there 
having this conversation and they find it valuable, just like you do. It's not just you. Well, it is, but there's a lot of you. Exactly. And yeah, those conversations are a lot of fun. I have I have some thoughts that I'm going to save, I don't know, maybe for our upcoming episode or our next live stream or something about discomfort and versus comfort and to what degree we seek it versus relax into it versus accept what we have and is there a state in which you start resisting the comfort you experience to too much of a degree that you're just distorting your own experience of reality and I guess I think just in as I'm writing these down I'm kind of like coming to recognition as I'm doing it and it's really like if you're in a very comfortable environment, there's still going to be tons of opportunities for discomfort. There's still going to be a ton of opportunities for you to experience. And a lot of times we just avoid it because we're able to in that extreme state of comfort, but you have the opportunity to face it as well. And that's how you grow. So I'm, I'm interested in chatting more about that, but yeah, excited to uh, chat with everyone on Patreon very shortly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, just, just off the top of my head, um, it's as simple as not putting honey in your tea. It's as simple as walking down the block without your shoes on. It doesn't have to be much. It just has to be uncomfortable. That's it because it's in that, it's in that discomfort that you're going to dig up triggers. And those triggers are what you get to work through. But if you're not uncomfortable, you're not giving those triggers a chance to come to the surface. And so that comfort is paper thin. It's paper thin because eventually it's, it's going to end and all those triggers are going to be waiting for you like a pack of dogs, angry, angry dogs that have not been fed in a long time. <laughs> and that's the point. Deal with them. Feed those dogs now and they will treat you well when you are finally uncomfortable. You can use them. They'll help you. They're, they're, they are your allies. I've just dragged that dog analogy as far as I'm going to. We're going to end that here. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you again for the next episode. Take care. Bye, everyone.